Hey, it's good to be here uh, with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> it was fun just to come last week and be a part of the congregation and worship with you and be challenged by the preaching of God's word. That was really encouraging. And um, I, it's an honor to serve Fairlawn, um, you know, working with uh, Pastor Dwayne and also a little bit sometimes with your elders. I, I really enjoy that a lot, and I, I am thankful. Um, this uh, month is a spe- what What's October? Can anyone tell me there's a special significance to October? Pastor Appreciation Month, right? Have you done anything to appreciate your pastors? Did they? Are they good? That's good. Um, I really encourage you. I was a pastor for a while, and it seemed like during Pastor Appreciation Month, like a lot of funky stuff happened that was discouraging, and we used to joke about it. We, you know, October would come around, and we'd say, <clears throat> it's Pastor Depreciation Month, you know, and stuff like that, and, and um, so I just really want to encourage you to be in prayer. Um, it's not hard. I'm not talking about spending hours on your knees, but I am talking about maybe you're driving to work, and you think about your pastor or you're, you're washing the dishes at home, that's a perfect time just to bow your head and say, Lord, uh, bless Pastor Dwayne and his family today. Bless Pastor Keith. Lord, work in their lives. Anoint them with your Holy Spirit. Minister to them. Protect them. Keep them safe from sin. Keep them from falling into a trap of the enemy. Um, the Bible tells us that... One of Satan's greatest strategies, it's the strategy he used against Jesus. Um, it was kind of dumb, actually, but uh, he, he just keeps doing the same thing because it is a little bit effective. And basically, uh, the Bible says it this way. Uh, it says about him, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Did you hear that? I, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So there's, there's things that could happen. Our shepherd, you know, is the Lord, but our under-shepherds, um, you know, Pastor Dwayne, Pastor Keith, other, you know, staff members who shepherd us, some, they could get struck. Something could happen to them that could have a scattering effect on the congregation. Am, am I right? And so partly it, there's a responsibility that we have. <clears throat> the Bible talks about the whole armor of God, right? And it there's this piece of armor, it's a shield, and it says that with that shield, we can actually hold up the shield of faith, and we can quench every fiery dart of the enemy. I want to make sure you're awake this morning, so everyone say with me, every fiery dart. Okay, that was really weak. It was like, let, let me hear you loud enough for me to hear every fiery, dart. every fiery dart. That was awesome. So that means there's nothing. There's nothing. Every means every. There, there's nothing. There's no dart. There's no attack that the enemy can level against us that can't be shielded off. There's nothing he can do. There's no attack that can come that we can't fend off if we'll lift up the shield of faith. And we'll say, Lord, I'm trusting you for our church. I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm praying and faith believing that you're going to protect our leaders, that you're going you're gonna to use us. You're, you're going to help our church be powerful. And uh, you're, you're going to bless the preaching of God's word. Our pastor is going to give good and interesting stuff, and it's going to change our lives and the lives of other people. Um, and you know, the funny thing about God is, actually not funny, but the interesting thing about God is he's actually a prayer-answering God. Isn't that amazing? He actually listens to that stuff. He likes it. And he works when people pray. He, he just works. And um, so, how many of you, uh, I will make you raise your hand right now. Um, how, how many of you would say, and I'm going to raise mine if I need to too, but how many of you would say that if you stood before the Lord right now, he wouldn't say to you, you just pray way too much for the pastors at your church? Anybody? You know, would God, anyone here, you think God would say that to you? I, I'm not really raising my hand. I'm just, you know, illustrating. How many of you would say, if you stood before the Lord, it'd be more like, Lord, sorry about that. I wish, you know, I, I, I did that a little more. 
Okay, good. So you're normal because that's how I feel this morning. And I've just purposed in my heart, I've just purposed in my heart to pray more for pastors and the spiritual leaders in my life who, who minister to me and help me. Um, does that sound like a good, good plan there, Dwayne? Okay, good. Anyway, uh, I think it'd be good after saying that to actually pray. Would that be okay? So um, let's pray, and, and uh, I'm not sure, is, is Keith, is he back there? Okay. So um, if you're near any of the pastors here, their families, uh, just, you know, kind of reach out to them. Maybe, you know, put a hand on their shoulder or something like that. I'm going to pray brief and uh, ho- hopefully pithy and powerful here. So are you ready? If you're near them, near their family, reach out, touch them. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you so much for the pastors in our lives. Thank you for the pastors in Wayne County and Holmes County and Tuscarawas County and the surrounding area. We, we just thank you for them. Lord, we pray that they will feel our love and appreciation. We hold up the shield of faith around their lives. And we, by faith, quench every fiery dart, every attack that would come against them. We just hold up our shields around them, their children, their families. We ask that you'd strengthen them and encourage them and that you would use them to lead us. You would speak through them, even if you step on our toes at times, Lord. We ask that you'd give them the boldness to preach your word and that you'd give them insight into how to lead us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Well, um, like Dwayne said, I'm, I'm here um, this morning to talk, uh, hopefully, um, do I have any projection issue there? Or... There we go. Um, I'm here to talk about the Reckoning International, which is a little mission organization that I started, and talk about the possibility of, of us doing a cool project that I think will be a great blessing to Fairlawn Mennonite Church and also to other people. And I thought this morning, just kind of introduce you to what the Lord has called us to do and explain um, a little bit about what that looks like. So, first of all, um, what is the Reckoning International, and and where did we get that name? Um, Well, I'll tell you that first. There's a parable in the New Testament. It's called the Parable of the Talents. And in the Parable of the Talents, there was a master who went away on a long journey, and he called three servants to him, and he gave them some talents. And he said, I'm coming back, and I want you to be busy while I'm gone, and I want you to use these talents and I, I want you to make a profit. I want you to turn them into more. And I won't explain the whole story, but basically, uh, if you read in the King James Bible, it says when the master came back, there was a reckoning. And so the reckoning, the reason I named that organization or organization the reckoning is it's this idea that, you know what? We all have gifts and talents. People have gifts and talents that God has given them. And that someday you and I, are going to stand before the Lord just like those servants, and he's going to say to us, what did you do with the talents I gave you? There's going to be a reckoning, okay? That's going to be good because he's going to give us rewards if we've been profitable and, and have served him, but he's not necessarily going to be a happy camper if we haven't, okay? There was one person who buried their talents, They were scared they would lose it. They weren't willing to risk anything for the Lord. Maybe they were too busy. They were like, you know, I'm just too busy doing my thing. I have a life to live, and I've got kids, and they're in sports, and, you know, I got this, and I got that. I'm too busy. And that person dug a hole, buried it in the ground, did nothing, and just lived his life, went about the busyness of his existence until the Lord came back. Then he dug it back up and handed it to the Lord. And the Lord wasn't happy. In fact, you know what he said? It was pretty strong. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. I get scared when I read verses like that. You know, do you ever get like, uh, I don't mean this in a mean way, but like Jesus junk in the mail. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you get a calendar with a Bible verse or a comb that has, you know, someone sends it to you. I've never seen a calendar that says, you know, has this beautiful picture of a lake and has a Bible verse at the bottom and it says, you wicked and lazy servant. I, you know, that's not one of those comforting, precious verses necessarily, but it's a pretty good one to hear. I, I'd rather know that now, that there's going to be a day of reckoning, and the Lord's going to ask me, what would you do with the stuff I gave you? What would you do with your gifts and talents? Were you busy just living your own life, going on your merry way? 
burying in the ground what I gave you? Or did you use it to make a profit for the kingdom of God? Now, we all know God is not in any kind of economic crisis, right? You're, you're aware of that? He, he's doing okay. He he's, has no needs. So he doesn't need money. The prophet he was talking about is some kind of eternal fruit. He'd, he'd like the sum total of our life to produce something eternal, to produce something that ends up being a blessing to God for eternity. Which, what do you give someone who has everything? What do you give him? Like, what would you give God for Christmas? I mean, he's got everything. What do you give him? Well, what he's looking for, what he treasures, is the one thing human beings can give him, and that's their hearts. They can give God their hearts. They can come into relationship with him. So, the reckoning, basically, it's a it's an, um, faith-based development organization. And... Our mission is to mobilize people and resources to transform the lives of people living in poverty. Okay, so a development organization, what a development organization does is it works with people to increase the quality of their life. So we look at the problems that are out there in the world, the problems of poverty, problems of people not having enough food to eat, clothes to wear, people who see their children die for some simple reasons, like they don't wear shoes, and they get hookworm and some other things, and, you know, easily prevented stuff like that. And we look at that and we say, man, we see people cold and naked and needy. And the love of Christ compels us to do something, to develop them, to help them in their situation. Does that make sense? I'm not a complicated guy, but that's what a development organization does, okay? And so... Um, if you look down at the bottom of the screen here, too, um, you'll see this verse from the book of James right here, James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, you know, we all kind of judge a little bit. Like we come into a service, like you'll come today and you're like, someone will ask you this week, how was church? And you think, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, we had a good worship, and, you know, it was fairly interesting preaching. Yeah, it was pretty good. You know what's interesting is that God says the way he looks at our relationship with him, the way he judges, is it pure religion? Is it pure? Is that it has an outward focus. That it's not about me being a consumer. It's, it's, it's about me flowing with God's purposes. And that he says, you know what I'm looking for? So I'm looking for you to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. I'm looking for you to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I accept. That, you know, if you turn the pages of the New Testament, what's interesting, this is what I love about our heritage in the Mennonite church, is this is a part of our Anabaptist understanding that Christianity is more than just sort of theological concepts in the mind. In fact, if our relationship with God does not impact people, we don't actually have a pure relationship with him. That's what he says in his word. And so what we try to do is make this organization and say, hey, how can we help widows and orphans in their distress? How can we help people? And then how can we get other people to do the same thing? How can we help serve the church by creating a way for them to do that? For example, the guy you see in this picture right here, everyone see him right there. His name is Rajan. And I met Rajan about 12 years ago, and Rajan was a slave. He was a slave in Nepal. And what's interesting about Rajan is he's the first person in his family to be free in four generations. Okay, so do you understand when I say four generations, what that means? It's like my grandpa, Melvin Troyer, who's gone on to be with the Lord, my dad, Les Troyer, me, Tim Troyer, and then my son, Micah Troyer. That's four generations. And so Rajan is the fourth generation of slave family, was the first person to be free in his family. Here's how he got free. The place that he lives, there's a custom. There's a day, one day every year called Magi, it's like the Day of Atonement, and on that day, you can redeem a slave. You can go to a master, you can reach in your pocket, you can get out money, and you can say, 
I will pay the slave debt that this person can't pay. I will redeem them. Money changes hands, and the person is set free. I bought Rajan like you would buy a dog at the dog pound. It was like that. It was that straightforward. And we bought him out of slavery. He said to me, why are you doing this? You don't even know who I am. To which we replied, we bought you out of slavery because we used to be slaves too. But we weren't slaves like you are right now. We, we were slaves to sin and we were slaves to darkness and someone that we didn't know came and bought us. But he didn't buy us with silver and gold. He bought us with his precious blood and he set us free. He redeemed us never to be slaves again. And he hates slavery. And he hears the cries of people and it bothers him when people don't have enough to eat or when people are in slavery or when children cry themselves to sleep at night because they don't have food or something like that. And we've come to show his love because this is what pure Christianity looks like. It does something. And too long I started to get into this morning, but Roger's a person who's come to know the Lord, who's not just been redeemed from his earthly master, but he's been redeemed like I have, like you have, by the blood of Jesus. And we've helped him because, you know what? Now he's not a slave anymore, but what's he going to do to work? You know, he's going to live on handouts. So the reckoning helped, hey, what can we do to get him working? And took him through some training and got him some land and got a cow for him to milk and helped him to work and become a person who's productive and who can be generous. And now he's a person who's generous to others and helps others. That's what a development organization does. I grew up on the mission field, and I saw two things happening, and they weren't bad things, but I saw two main things happening growing up on the mission field. And I, I made some pictures for you here. Um, kind of, it's interesting, they're both hands, but I saw a lot of preaching, you know, a lot of proclamation, which I'm doing that this morning. There's nothing wrong with preaching. But can you imagine if I showed up when Rajan was a slave? And he's working in the field. And I said, hey, you know, I came with my portable uh, pulpit and I set it up. And I said, hey, do you know God loves you? And let me tell you about the Bible and things like that. I mean, that, that would be effective to a degree, right? But the guy, I mean, the guy's a slave. He doesn't, he doesn't have enough to eat. He's oppressed. He, he, he's in trouble. And I saw a lot of preaching. And again, there's nothing wrong with preaching. But what ended up happening was, Kind of this feeling, like I, I, I kind of saw this message that Christians were giving that I don't think really was good news. And it kind of, the message was kind of like this. I know you're poor. I know you're in trouble. But if you accept Jesus, everything will be better after you die. You just have to die for the benefits of Christianity to kick in. You know, your life is going to still stink, but now you know Jesus in the midst of your stinky life. And then when you die, everything will be okay. Is that the message of the New Testament? Please shake your head harder. That's not the message of the New Testament. If you think it is, you haven't read it. You know, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go, I want you to heal the sick, I want you to feed the hungry, and I want you to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. God's here, and he wants to help you. God cares about human needs as much as he does about eternal needs. In fact, he says to us, if we go to someone and say, God bless you, brother, who's naked, be clothed, you know, I wish you well, be fed. He says the love of God really isn't in us. See, that, that's the problem, the church. I, I think one of the reasons we haven't been effective, I hope you hear me, because you're the church, I'm the church. I'm not talking to this building. But one of the reasons we've been ineffective as a church is we're so good at talking and so bad at action. And I'm pointing to me too. In fact, I love this verse, the Apostle Paul. He said, hey, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Is that power? I mean, that, that's a really an amazing verse. And I think what happens is if we think that our mission is just to talk to people, 
Just, you know, blah, 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 Jesus, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, just, it's just a message of words, but there's nothing behind it. The Apostle Paul says, that's not really what the kingdom of God is about. It's not a matter of talk. Can I make you say that out loud again? Because some of you look sleepy. Say, it's not a matter of talk. Say it louder. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. Look at your neighbor and say, Christianity isn't all talk and no action. <laughs> you guys need to be caffeinated or something. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and just say, the kingdom of God's not a matter of talk. See, so that's the deal. If all Fairlawn Mennonite Church does is talk to people about Jesus, um, we're failing. If that's all I do, I'm failing. The second thing I, I saw that represents this picture right here is I saw a lot of handouts being given. Like I saw a lot of people giving food and stuff like that. And I thought that's good in a way. Like, so you got preaching and you got handouts. But even as a little kid, I saw a problem with that. And um, you can't see this really clearly, but that uh, is a picture of me. Um, in Asia, holding this little chicken. And I realized two things as a little boy. And here's what happened. You, you can turn the house lights back up. It doesn't matter if you can't see me there. Um, <clears throat> I'm stunningly handsome. Take, take my word for it. It's, no, just teasing. Uh, when I was a little kid, I had something happen to me. It was about this age. And I was by myself. I was walking down a street. And it was in Kathmandu, Nepal. And it's a country where, you know, some of the poorest people in the world live. And I saw a lady, and this lady was really dirty. Her hair was really disheveled. And she was, like, super skinny, and not because she was a model or something. I mean, she was skinny because she hadn't been eaten for a while. And she had these two little kids with her. There were two little girls. And... One of them was completely, you know, she's probably two years old, completely naked, no clothes. She had a little string tied around her waist. That was it. The other one was a little older, had a dirty T-shirt on. And they're both crying. They're both, their bellies are kind of distended because they're facing advanced starvation. And this woman is in the street. And, I mean, this is kind of gross, okay, but this is reality. In Nepal, they worship cows, so they feed cows better than they feed, you know, you can walk past starving people and feed a cow because they think the cow's holy. And this mother, with her two starving children, is in the street. Her children are crying, bellies are distended, their hair's turning a different color because they haven't had enough food to eat. This cow had come by, and it had crapped in the road. I, I'd say a stronger word, um... I mean, it was just so gross. This cow pooped in the middle of the road. And this woman got down on her hands and knees, and she's picking undigested corn out of cow poop and putting it into an empty tin can. And she doesn't care who sees her. She's got the desperation of a mother whose children are, are crying for food, and she's picking corn out of this cow poop, putting in this can, and she's going to take this corn and wash it and cook it, and that's what she's going to feed her two starving children. I, I got to tell you, it was, it was like being punched in the face. And even as a little kid, I, I mean, I stood there looking at her, and I realized two things. I realized, number one, that I couldn't go up to that lady and say, everything will be okay when you get to heaven. I realized she can't hear me. I can't go up to her and start preaching to her about Jesus because her stomach's growling way too loud to hear me and her children's voices crying are way too loud for her to listen to me talk to her about Jesus. The second thing I realized was, you know what? There's, I, if I even had food right now, which I didn't, but I thought, you know, if... Even as a little kid, I realized I can't carry enough food to hand to them that for the rest of li their life, they'll be okay. Are, are you tracking with me? 
that somehow a handout, because I knew, you know, if I just give her food, what's she going to do tomorrow? It's not sustainable. I, you know, and then thinking of the thousands of people like that. And so it was like, man, there's got to be an answer. There's got to be something certainly that might include preaching, certainly that might include giving people, you know, food when they're desperate. But there has to be a way to help people become sustainable in their life. That she could get up tomorrow and know, hey, with God's help, everything's going to be okay. I can work. I can do something to take care of my family. And there has to be a way for us to provide that for people. And I think at that moment, I was probably six or seven years old. That's when, in my heart, I started thinking, there's got to be a different way. And that's why I started the reckoning. To say, how can we work with people You know, half the population of the world right now lives on less than two bucks a day. Isn't that amazing? Last night, 40,000 children died just because they don't have enough to eat. I don't know about you. That really bothers me. Most important, bothers the Lord. And I'm not here to lay a guilt trip or something like that because, you know what, what do we do about it? You know, what do we do about it? There's not enough money in the world to give everyone a handout. Did you know that? It's not possible. So, There's got to be a different solution, and I believe God has the wisdom through the body of Christ for that. You know, there's millions of people who face starvation, sickness, and death because they're too poor to survive. Doing nothing about this is not an option. You know that? It's not an option. What I saw as a kid was people walking by this lady. She's down on her knees, picking food out of cow poop, and people walk by like, oh, well, you know, it's not my problem. And they went about their busy lives while she's in the street, in her quiet desperation. And I thought, you know, a lot of times that's how I live my life. I just go about my merry way. And maybe it's a little easier because I don't see those people. Like I have to go a little further than where I live to see the kind of poverty that's out there and to see an opportunity. You know, in the U.S., I mean, we oftentimes like, we think we're poor. I mean, can you imagine living on less than two bucks a day? Half of the population of the world. Jesus taught us to pray this. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me be a little more graphic this morning. Just bear with me. I will tell you this. No one in heaven is down on their knees picking food out of something that you and I would not even touch. No one in heaven is doing that. No child is dying in heaven. No one's out of work. No one's sick who could get well if they had a 50-cent pill. It's not happening in heaven. And Jesus said, I want you to pray. I want you to live your life in a way that earth becomes a lot more like heaven. I hope that doesn't sound sacrilegious to you. But here's the problem. I look in the New Testament and look at the message of Jesus and his disciples, and I look at our message sometimes, I look at my message sometimes, And I think that we're real good at preaching a gospel of going to heaven. And I'd like to go there. I am going there. And it definitely beats the alternative. But that's not the message. That's not the message Jesus told his disciples to preach. It's not a message of the gospel of going to heaven. It's a message that God is a king. He's an ever-present reality, and he cares about us right now. He loves us right now, and he wants to do something in our lives And your situation is never too desperate that you can't call to him and he will answer you. And he's called us to go. He said to his disciples, the Lord did, he said, As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Go into all the world and bring good news with you. And I think good news to someone who's starving is, hey, good news. We've thought about you. We have a God who loves you. And he sent us here. And we have food. And more importantly, We have some ideas about maybe how you could start working and become productive and not only support yourself, but you'd actually be able to be generous to other people too. So here's what we do. I try to make it real simple, kind of a logic map here for you. So what the reckoning does is we go to places where people are really poor and they're struggling. They don't have enough to eat. And we do talk to them about Jesus and we do hand out some food once in a while. But the main thing that we do is we get our clients, we give them some training. 
we open up the Bible and we say, here's what God says about life. Here's what he says about working hard. Here's what he says about working with your hands. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's a good Bible verse. And we train them how to be successful in working, and then we provide capital for them. Sometimes it's a loan. Sometimes it's a grant. Sometimes it's a gift. Okay? We provide the money they need to start a small business or to do a livelihood project. Maybe we buy them a cow, and they start milking the cow, and they have an instant business. Okay? They work. And then what's interesting is they give us the money back in many cases. And then guess what we do? We just, we provide the development they need, and then we just repeat. Does that make sense? It's not very complicated, right? And so I'll just introduce you real quick to some people. Um, how are we doing on time? What time do I end? 10? Oh, 10, 10. Oh, whew, good. Okay, so I want to introduce you. This is Eddie, and um, Eddie is a young guy from Kenya, and Eddie's dad died shortly after he was born, and then his mom died in his teens, okay? So he was an orphan as a teenager. He has no one to look after him. Uh, there's, no, there's no system in Kenya like welfare or child protective services. There's nothing like that. So what happened to Eddie is he ended up on the street as a street kid eating out of the trash, okay? Now, again, that would be gross here in the development world, it's 10 times gro grosser in a poor country, you know, what they're throwing away. So Eddie's eating out of the trash. He's got nothing. He doesn't have a job, not because he's lazy or he has an entitlement mentality, but he lives in a place where there's 30% unemployment. And folks don't have any money. So... The reckoning, we met Eddie, we said, hey, we love you, God loves you. It's not his plan that you eat out of the trash. That is not what God's plan for your life is. In fact, we believe that he's given you gifts and talents, and he's going to come back and say, what would you do with them? And we think they can be developed to make a profit. That's God's will. So we loaned Eddie, we took him through training, and then we loaned him 150 bucks. Does that sound like a lot of money? I mean, $150 is $150, but um, how many business people here, your first business loan was $150? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, $150. We helped Eddie start a brick business. You can see these bricks back here. And it was amazing to watch what happened. He starts working. He starts making bricks. He starts selling them. He's able to buy food. He's able to find a place to stay. And suddenly, he's thriving in his life. And you know what he does out of his business? He's generous to other people. He tithes in his church. And he paid back his loan. So he gave us back the $150. Thank you so much for helping me. Thank you for teaching me to work. Thank you for teaching me what it means to be a businessman. I, I can do this. I'm good at making bricks. And these are going to be needed for a long time. I have something to do. Thank you. Here's the money back. And then we don't take the money home with us. It stays in Kenya. And guess what we did? We just give it to another person. And they do the same thing. And so what's neat about it is that it's the gift that keeps on giving. That's what we're talking about. In the course of that time, we have time to talk to Eddie about the Lord. But now it's in a context, not just, hey, be clothed and fed. We hope everything works out for you. You know, we talk about heaven. Hey, that's a great destination. But you know what? We're also praying that God takes care of you now. Do you know that I'm not giving Eddie any handouts? You know that? I'm not giving him any food. I'm not giving him any handouts. But you know what we gave him? We gave him an opportunity. Instead of giving him a hand out, we gave him a hand up. How many of you think that's a better idea? What happens in your life? Like, let's say I'm, I mean, just for the sake of conversation, let's say that I'm not working, and you have to learn to work, too. It's not, it's not easy. Pe people, that's a learned skill. You learn how. And especially if you've been a street kid, it, you, you're used to just barely making it. You know, you, you have to learn how. Let's say that I'm in that case and I'm not working and let's say I refuse to work and then you feel sorry for me and you give me food every day. What happens? You can talk. I know it's church, but 
Say it again. You just stay there, right? And you're more of a slave than ever, right? You just belong now to me because I'm your, your supporter. What else happens? Dependency. Wow. What else? Well, another thing is you affect the people around you because they watch you and they, they, don't, they don't aspire to anything higher. What do you think happened... What do you think happened when Eddie really committed his life to the Lord, got a business loan, started making bricks, and lifted himself out of poverty? What, what do you think people thought? Other people who were eating out of the trash saw him. What do you think they thought? Yes. Thank you. Say it aloud. That's exactly what happened. I wish I had what Eddie had. Eddie's not smarter than me. He's not, maybe I can do it too. And suddenly, you're not just helping people with handouts. You're not just helping the poor. You're helping them help themselves. Suddenly, they're empowered. Suddenly, they're working. He's really amazing. His business is so successful that he bought a motorcycle. And then he has this motorcycle as a motorcycle taxi. And, you know, he's got two businesses. And he just, he, he's so happy. And he says, man, I never thought I could work. I was always waiting for someone to give me a job. I didn't realize I could start one. I am going to hire some street kids to make bricks and help people get out of the poverty I was in. What if a thousand people did that in Kenya? What if 10,000 people? What if suddenly people saw, oh, you know what, with God's help, I don't have to be dependent. I can work hard. Let me introduce you to one other person. This is Scylla. And I asked her for permission to tell you her story, and she said I could. Scylla is a, a widow living with HIV, and what, what happened to Scylla, which is unfortunately a sad story in Africa, so you know, HIV AIDS is huge. It's a huge problem. And um, Scylla... It's a wife, three children, married, and unbeknownst to her, her, her husband was unfaithful to her. And in his unfaithfulness, he contracted HIV, and he brought it home, and he gave it to his wife. Now, she's a Christian lady. Her husband was a Christian in name, but not really walking with the Lord. And, I mean, just think about that. Think about, first of all, you're dealing with the pain of infidelity, which is just so painful. So you're dealing with the fact, man, my spouse was unfaithful to me. Then you're dealing with the death of your spouse. Then you're dealing with, my spouse inadvertently killed me as surely as he pointed a gun at me and pulled the trigger. It's only taken 10 years, though, for the bullet to get to me. But it's coming. She couldn't feed her children. She could not send them to school because school isn't free there. She couldn't buy her medication when we met her. And when we met her, we said, God loves you. And he says in his word that we're supposed to teach young widows to work hard with their hands and not to be busybodies and to get married again if they can. That's, that's what the Bible says. Have you ever read that? It's pretty interesting. It's interesting to say that to a widow. Uh, well, according to the Bible, we want you to work hard, get busy, don't be a busybody, and get married again. It's about that simple. So that's what we told her. And she laughed. She said, I'm not sure about the get married part again, but, you know, I, I like what the Bible says here. And so we took her through training. We, we sat down and we said, here's principles, very simple principles that God has to say in his word about business. And you can be a businesswoman, and we believe in you. We loaned Scylla $30. Okay, so get a large pizza throw in a couple, two liters of pop, you know, and that's about the amount of money that we used. And what's interesting in this loan cycle, actually there was a resource that came um, from someone right in this church, Fairlawn Mennonite Church, who believed in us and said, and Fairlawn sowed, you know, has sowed into our ministry and both individuals and, you know, as a church, and, and uh, we loaned Scylla 30 bucks, she started a small store in her house, and she has become an amazing businesswoman. For the last two years, Scylla has fed her family, bought her HIV medications, and paid for her children's education, and also been generous to others off of a $30 loan that we gave her. I mean, 
Is, does that blow you away? Is God good or what? God has helped her become an amazing businesswoman off a $30 loan, which she paid back to us faithfully, and we just gave it to another needy person. She said, use it again. We track gifts in the reckoning. Some of them have been used seven times before they're dissipated. Can you imagine that? So you give us a gift. We use it once. We use it again. We use it again. We use it again. We use it again. We use it again seven times. Sometimes it's shorter, but it's, it's been that many. Because sometimes the business doesn't work or something happens, you know, or money dissipates. But I, I think that's pretty cool. The interesting thing about Scylla is that she's become a champion for others. She's a person who's gone to other widows who are in need and said, God loves you. There's a way out. You don't have to live in poverty. He's given you gifts, and you can use those gifts. How fast would she have gone through 30 bucks worth of food if I bought her $30 worth of groceries? I don't know. It stretches further in Kenya, but I'll guarantee it wouldn't have lasted two years. She used the 30 bucks, gave it back, someone else is using it, and for two years, no one has given her a handout. No one at church has given her a sack full of groceries so she doesn't starve. She's not begging on the street corner. She's working, and God is blessing her and helping her. How many of you feel like that is a better way to go about it? If you'd like to help someone like Eddie or Scylla, I have a proposition for you this morning. How many of you, seriously, I mean, it just, it feels good. Uh, I got to tell you, when I bought someone out of slavery, a, a bunch of my friends helped me, so there was a bunch of people who did it. But um, my family, when we gave money, and I actually saw people that we bought out of slavery, I, I'll tell you what, I felt like I could die right then, and I would have lived a meaningful life. I bought a 65-year-old man for eight U.S. dollars. I spend eight bucks on coffee in like two days. Because compared to the rest of the world, I'm an extremely wealthy person. So are you. How many of you, if you knew I could, I could give 30 bucks and someone would start a business and they would live, your gift would keep giving to them for the rest of their life. How many of you would reach in your pocket right now and write a check for 30 bucks? Let me see your hand. Well, I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'm, I'm not. In fact, um, I'm not asking you to give me money this morning. Isn't that weird? Aren't missionary people supposed to like beg for money? I, I'm not. I'm not asking you for money. I want to make a proposition to Fairlawn Mennonite Church, to the ABFs, to any, anyone here who wants to participate in this, okay? This is really fun. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to ask you to give me money. I'm going to ask you if I can give you some money. All right? What in the world is he talking about? Well, here's what we'd like to do. We've done this several times. In January of 2011, I'm proposing that we do a project at Fairlawn, and this is what it'll look like. We'll form teams of five to eight people from the ABFs or just from the congregation. We can do the youth. It can be anyone who wants to. The only thing we need is people who will say, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to be busy about my life and not do anything. I'm going to do something. And People who are willing to lead a small group say, I'll be the leader. Then what we're going to do is we're going to give you a sum of money. And we'll determine that uh, sum of money, but we'll give you a sum of money. And what we'd like you to do in your group is your team is going to come up with some ideas to use their money to multiply it. Are you, you tracking with me? So you get some money as a group and you'll think of some ideas. What could we do with this money to turn it into more? So you're doing exactly what we do for our clients. You're starting a micro-business in Wayne County, Ohio, or Holmes County, or wherever you're from. After three months, there will be a reckoning. So on a Sunday morning, we'll get teams of people to stand up. We'll give you some money. We'll come back in three months, and we'll go, what'd you do? It'll, it'll be a microcosm of how life's going to work. And you'll stand up on a Sunday morning, and you'll go, you know what we did? We, you know, we took our money. We bought some flour and sugar. We made some cookies. We sold those. We made money. We took that money. We did another project. It got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We did this with the church. I gave a group of five 18 to 25-year-olds $200. In three months, they turned that 200 bucks into $5,500. 
They said it was the funnest thing they ever did. And they came up with the most creative, we'll talk about that in January, some ideas, but they came up with the most creative stuff you can imagine. And we told them, you're not allowed to put any of your own money into it. You can't reach in your pocket and put any of your own money. You have to use this money to come up with more, just like the parable. And we believe God's going to help you, and it's going to be one of the most fun, exciting things you've ever done. Um, I read about a guy on the internet who started trading, and he, it's called the Red Paperclip. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but he got, had a red paperclip, and he started trading it, trying to trade it for more and more, and he ended up with a house. That's pretty amazing and creative, right? We are going to do that. All the proceeds that come from that, so it's not even going to be necessarily money that comes out of the pockets of people at Fairlawn. You're going to generate it with people. It's going to be fun. And all the money that's generated... We're not complicated. We're just going to take it. We're going to go to a country like Nepal or a country like Kenya or Uganda or Rwanda or Dominican Republic. And we're going to get some really poor people. And we're going to say, there's some people, they live in this little place in Ohio. It's, you know, they all live sprinkle around this little town called Apple Creek, Ohio. And they have this church and this crazy belief that God loves the world and that through their efforts they can change the world. And we can't convince them different because they've been reading the Bible and that's pretty dangerous and we just can't shake them out of that thought. And they did some crazy stuff and they came up with this money because they care about you and they'd like to change your life. They don't want you eating out of the trash. They don't want you selling your body in prostitution to feed your kids. They don't want you stealing. They want you to work hard with your hands and trust the God who loves you that he's going to bless you enough that you can feed your family for the rest of your life. How's that sound? Does it sound like a good deal? So that's my proposition. I'm saying, think about it, but let's do it. The results for the ABFs, the results for the church are this. Uh, number one, a missional focus. So you can come to church and you can say, hey, I'm focused on the stuff that God wants me to be focused on. Yes, I'm hearing preaching, I'm worshiping, I'm hearing teaching, but you know what? I'm also changing the lives of the poor. I'm loving widows and orphans. I'm doing it. I'm doing pure religion. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, number two, fruitfulness and fun. You know, sometimes why church is boring? Not, not probably Fairlawn Mennonite Church is never boring, but some churches, like ones I pastor at times and all, are, are boring because they're self-focused. It's just me, 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 you know, make me spiritual. You know, well, I hope the sermon's good today so I can feel spiritual. You know, do something for me. Entertain me. That's so boring. But once you do, you start saying, hey, my life's going to also be full of stuff that's going to bear fruit. It, it starts getting exciting. And then it's also going to involve new people. If we show up on January on a Sunday morning, and let's say there's some visitors here, or let's say there's some people who don't participate in youth group or don't participate in ABFs, and we stand up and say, hey, guess what? We're going to do these teams, and we're going to do this thing. We're going to take this money. We're going to change the lives of the poor. We might buy some slaves. We might do this. We might do that. Guess what they're going to think? Holy mackerel. Or they'll say something like that, you know. Good grief. This sounds interesting. I believe I'll come. I believe I'd like to be on a team. And we're going to assimilate people into the life of the church because they're going to, they're going to be on a team and they're going to come hang out at your house or you're going to be drinking a coffee with your team and saying, what are we going to do with the money? And they're going to have an idea and you're going to do it and it's going to work and it's going to be fun. You're going to have a car wash and, you know, do, make this money and buy people out of slavery or change the lives of people and they'll never forget it. You know how I know they'll never forget it? I have people today who walk up to me and say, I was in one of the first groups that you did this with, and it was the most exciting thing that ever happened, and I'll never forget the impact. True religion and spiritual blessings. Can I tell you something? I'll close with this. Perfect. Um, our, our area is very religious. Okay. <laughs> it's like, did you just notice that, Tim? Uh, our area is very religious, but you know what? As I look around, our area needs a revival. We really do. You know the scary thing about our area? You know what an inoculation is? Vaccine, an inoculation. What they do, how you make an inoculation is basically you get a disease and you kind of kill most of it. You make it weak enough that it can't take hold. And then you inject someone with it and they become immune to that. And here's my concern. I think that we have just enough religion in our community to be immune to the real thing. 
am I, am I speaking the truth? I'm not haranguing anyone. I'm not mad or laying a guilt trip. Or I'm, I, I'm talking about me. I'm kind of concerned. I, I do. I feel like something's got to happen in my life. I've got to get a little more serious about the Lord. I, I, I need revival. I, I need somehow to come back to my first love for the Lord. And if sitting in a cave reading the Bible would do it for me, I would do that. But that's not, I really believe that the fire comes into the church when we love one another. The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And the second one is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And something happens when Christians say, I want to love God with all my heart, but I also want to love people who need it so desperately. That's my proposition. Think about it. I'd like to come back in January, kick something off like this, and help Fairlawn Mennonite Church change the world. Amen? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So uh, that's definitely the end of our time. Can I just pray? One quick prayer, bow your head, close your eyes. God, work in us, work in my life, work in the lives of everyone here and anyone listening. Would you shake us? Would you help us not to be so busy that we leave our talent buried in the ground? Help us not to be so busy that we don't do what we were born to do born again to do and that's change the world with our little efforts and ideas give grace Lord we'd like to do this project if it's your will speak clearly to our hearts and speak to the congregation speak to the elders and the leaders of the church and if this is your will we'd like to do it and we'd like to see something amazing happen we'd like to see new stories that has your face and the face of Fairlawn on it. Speak to us, Lord. Work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.